Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for March 5, 2020. Here's a short little article that we thought you would find interesting. Lego system helps people who are visually impaired reach new heights at rock climbing gym. Boston CBS. A 22-year-old blind entrepreneur is working to make rock climbing more accessible to the visually impaired. For its Pushing the Limits series, CBS This Morning profiled Matthew Schifrin and his innovative Lego system at a central rock gym location outside Boston. Schifrin was born without sight. At just 13 years old, he started coming up with directions in Braille for Lego sets. With this new system for rock climbers, a collar on the ground mocks up the wall using different Lego pieces to represent footholds. The climber then uses their fingers to map out the path in their mind. Quote, everyone deserves the thrill of doing something they never thought was possible, Schifrin said. He's hoping the Lego system can be used at the Paralympics and be adapted for other sports like skiing. And now, here's what else is happening on Soundprints. It's March, and that means it's time for the APH Reader's Theater. Every year, the APH Museum presents a play, sometimes fun, sometimes serious, always entertaining. Michael Hudson, director of the APH Museum, stops by this week to tell us about this year's event. And he updates us on more exciting news from the Printing House Museum as well. Last fall, we told you about an exciting announcement at the American Printing House for the Blind annual conference concerning APH's acquisition of the Helen Keller Collection from the American Foundation for the Blind. Much has happened since then, and Mike Hudson shares all kinds of information about this amazing project. Don't miss both the play and the Helen Keller Collection on page 2. Most of the time, when we tell you about legislation or new regulations on sound prints, they're blindness-related in some way. This week, on page 3, we share a press release concerning the passage of legislation in the United States Senate that would reauthorize funding for things like Meals on Wheels and other programs for senior citizens. While this legislation is not specifically related to blindness or visual impairment, it is very important to the availability of services for senior citizens, and so we thought it appropriate to include here. And on page 4 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. I'm speaking with Michael Hudson, who is the director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind. He's been a guest on Soundprints many times, and we're glad to have him back because it's time to talk about the Reader's Theater, and also we're going to be talking about another new project, exciting project going on at the museum. So welcome, Mike. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Carla. Mike, tell us about the play that's coming up. It's time for the Reader's Theater and what's going to be next weekend. Um, it is. It okay. is. It's going to be um, Friday, March 14th um, at 7, and then the, the matinee is Saturday, March 15th at 1, mm -hmm. um, and that's here at the American Printing House for the Blind. Okay. And so we're doing a very challenging play this year. Um, I talked to Katie Carpenter, the director of the play, uh, kind of about, um, you know, how she selects the plays each year. And, you know, we, we've been all over the place in terms of 
styles. You know, we've done Shakespeare, we've done light comedy, we've done murder mysteries. Um, and last year, we did children's theater for the first time. We did Charlotte's Web, which was very popular. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, community theaters kind of struggle with picking plays. You know, people like me, you know, the director always want us to just, let's just do popular things. But creative people, actors and, and the and the creative people, they always want to branch out and try new things, try challenging things. And so this year we're trying a very challenging play by the French-Romanian playwright Eugene Unesco called The Bald Soprano. Okay. Tell so us a little about Soprano, that. Yeah, sure. So uh, UNESCO was uh, in France and Romania during World War II, and he kind of emerges from the war as one of the uh, most well-known absurdist playwrights. Um, and so The Bald Soprano is 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 on its surface, it is a small play with a very small cast. Um, we only have... Um, six actors, um, and that's unusual for us. Um, you know, a lot of the plays that we've done in the past have had huge cast, but this is a small play, um, and uh, it, it's a conversation uh, between a couple who has invited another couple over, and then um, and also involved in the play is the maid and her uh, fiancé, her lover, uh, who is a fireman. Okay, so that's on the surface of things, Okay. But really, the play is about the failure of communication, uh, okay. the breakdown of communication, mm-hmm. um, and and also a little bit of a dark, the, a darkness inside of um, UNESCO's character, the playwright, emerging out of the experiences of World War II and all the death and you know destruction and the horror of the war. Of you know, does talking. Do people really matter? <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, in other words, you know, if if these terrible things can happen, then is all the talking in the world really mean anything? To, mm-hmm. You know, are we really communicating to each other mm-hmm. if things like this happen? Um, but I want to also say that I don't want to I don't want to profess to really truly understand the salt bald soprano. I think everybody that sees the play, and by the way, it's it's the longest continuously running play at the same theater um in the in the history of theater it's been um performed at the play at the theater in france that it debuted at in 1950 it's been playing continuously ever since then so what's that 70 years yes so although the play is very challenging it's also very humorous and there are plenty of times probably when the audience is wondering what the heck is going on (laughs) and so these are kind of challenging you know these are challenging um theatrical experiences that our um our theater our braille readers theater you know we're we're not i guess i would have to take my hat off to katie and and to the cast and our actors for not being afraid of taking on very challenging pieces Mm -hmm. and so the play is free to the public. It is. It's always free, and uh, it'll be in um, the first floor, uh, right off of our main lobby. Um, mm-hmm. Should last about ninety minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, as always, 
Um, our actors are all uh, community members who are blind or visually impaired, um, using Braille scripts. Um, no, uh, no, you know, not a lot of makeup and 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 blocking. And and this play is actually perfect for the for the kind of theater we do. It's because it's it's really about interaction between the characters um, and dialogue more than it is, uh, you know, about fancy special effects or, or fancy lighting or any of that kind of stuff. Because mm -hmm. um, in, in the end, it's all about interpretation. And uh, so we've got uh, our cast is very veteran, and it will be very well known to our, our, uh, our local community. We've got Barb Hitting and B.T. Kimbrough and Ben Wright and Kathy Senye, Terry Turlow, and Ian Bray, and all of these folks have been in multiple, multiple uh, productions here at APH. Um, and so um, this is definitely one I've been looking forward to for a long time. Ben and uh, Terry have been telling us about the play at the Greater Louisville Council of Blind Roundabouts uh -huh. on Friday. Uh -huh. and, and what did they say? <laughs> well, they said exactly what you said, is that it's unusual, it's different, yeah. it's very different from yeah. what APH has done in the past. Yeah. They are excited about the play, yeah. and they've encouraged everyone to come. We will be coming over again um, and uh, as part of our Friday night roundabout, oh, and good. we're good. hoping that uh, several people will want to come. Um, I'm not sure that will have as many as we had last year with Charlotte's Web. Yeah, see, that's, that's the thing that community theaters struggle with, you know. If yes. You, you, if you do The Sound of Music every year, you're definitely going to have a big crowd every year. Right. Um, but, but actors also like to sink their teeth into, you know, some, some different styles of things, more challenging mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we are certainly looking forward to it. And, okay. of course, the matinee on Saturday will give a, a different group of people a mm -hmm. chance to come to the play as well. Mike, tell us how people should sign up for the play. You bet. We need you need to make reservations because uh, uh, these these things are always well attended, and uh, we usually uh, we usually sell out both both performances. So when I say sell out, I just mean we fill them up. So mm -hmm. you can call us at five zero two eight nine nine two two one three. That's five zero two eight nine nine two two one three or email at K Carpenter at APH dot org. That's K C A R P E N T E R at APH dot org. And tell us how many folks are coming and um, we'll get you we'll get you re reserved. Okay. Now let's switch to your new huge project mm -hmm. that you are just buried in and this exciting new project and uh, I think we talked about it back in the fall yeah when yeah. APH announced that mm -hmm. all of this new stuff was coming but we haven't touched base since then so yeah let tell us tell us what is filling sure. your days so, From start to so finish. just to kind of catch everybody up over the past three years, we had been in negotiations with the American Foundation for the Blind to house their um, AFB Helen Keller archive. And so, you know, Helen Keller, activist, author, um, ha 
had worked for AFB from 1924 until her death in 1968, and had traveled all around the world uh, as an advocate for people that are blind or visually impaired. And so in the collection um, were all of her speeches, thousands of speeches, and her, her correspondence with you know, famous people, celebrities, authors, actors, presidents, kings, and princes, and princesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then all these gifts. And, you know, she would travel around the world. You know, she would go to Japan. She would go to Korea. She would go to South Africa. She would go to countries of South America. And people would give her all these incredible things. And those are all in the collection as well. And And we finally succeeded in in getting a contract with AFB and so in January I traveled up to New York where all these things had been stored uh, and and looked out after by the AFB archivist who's a wonderful lady named Helen Self and just an amazing lady I packed everything up and put it on put it on on a on a two took two trucks uh, two semis and we brought it down here and it arrived on 22 pallets on January 28th, and since then, um, we have installed a um, state-of-the-art storage facility. Um, you need to come take a tour of it sometime, Carl. I think you'll be excited about it. Um, but it's got compact storage and temperature and humidity controls, all this stuff to, so that we can preserve these things for generations and generations. And so I've been unloading the pallets and inventorying everything and putting it away on shelves. Oh, wow. um, and just one amazing thing after the other. But, um, you know, we could talk about the, you know, the all the medals and the awards and the uh, interesting carvings and paintings that she was given when she traveled around. There's this incredible cricket cage that she got when she was in Japan. You know, they, in Asia, uh, that sometimes keep crickets as oh. lucky pets. Oh, Did dear. You hear that? No. Yeah. <laughs> so the next time you hear a, chirp, a cricket chirping in your house, you know, don't stomp, stamp on it. Anyways, <laughs> Helen had a cage to keep her crickets in. Um, really cool little thing, you know, incense burners and just all kinds of, you know, just wonderful little gifts that she was given wherever she went because wherever she went, she was the most famous person that these people had ever met, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And she went to Japan twice. She went to Japan in 1937, before the war, and then after the war in 48, she went and she toured Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the Japanese people really loved her for coming back after the war, because as you can imagine, you know, we'd been in a terrible war with the Japanese, and you know, you know, there were a lot of hard feelings on both right. sides. But Helen, she transcended all that and she went back and to to japan as soon as she could and she went to the places that had been devastated by war and and talked to the people and talked to people who had been blinded by the by 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 the war and and toured all of their facilities and they just loved her for it and Mm -hmm. gave her all kinds of wonderful gifts and these are all in this collection now and so we're working up a plan to create a temporary exhibit uh we're, we're, we've got a grant out there to a local uh, organization that we're really hoping is going to support it, and uh, and that allows us to put a lot of this stuff out initially, and then of course we have the big evil plan down the road to uh, do something even grander um, 
with uh, with the Helen Keller collection, but it's just full of wonderful things. But what I wanted to tell you about was one of the things that I find most fascinating in this collection is all of these letters from the 1950s and 60s from people writing to Helen asking her for things. Oh. So a little boy in Colorado writes, and he is doing a book report on her biography, and he wants her to send him a poem in Braille, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> or a director, um, a theater owner, a theater director, uh, uh, they're putting on The Miracle Worker, you know, the play about her life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a special presentation, he wants uh, her to Braille her name onto a copy of the program that he can give to the director of the play, right? Mm-hmm. And it's box after box after box of people asking for little pieces of her. Huh. Would you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Mm-hmm. I would like you to do this. And there must have been a whole army of uh, secretaries at AFB writing back, you know, you know, Miss Keller is in her 80s, and, and, you know, she no longer has, you know, uh, the time um, or the strength to, you know, answer all of these requests. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's how accessible Helen was or how people thought about her Mm -hmm. that – um, you know, even in her 70s and 80s, they continue to ask her for things. Can you do these little things for me? And I just find that so touching mm-hmm. that she was so beloved um, by so many people, uh, many of whom had, you know, had no background or anything ab- about blindness themselves. They just were captivated by her story and her and her spunk mm-hmm. and her uh, uh, willingness to speak truth to power. I, I'm just I'm in love with Helen Keller and with Ann Sullivan too. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and I'm, I'm humbled that I, I, in this part in my professional career that I have the opportunity to, I guess, be a part of preserving her story. Mm-hmm. So when this is all um, put away mm-hmm. and cataloged mm-hmm. and so on, then will there be sort of rotating exhibits at APH or how no, how we haven't people... exactly worked that out. I know that what we're working on right now is something that would happen in the next two years mm-hmm. uh, that would be a temporary exhibit of kind of highlights from the collection. Um, and the the down the road as what we call the evil plan here at APH because we've been working on it in silence for all this time because we were under a non-disclosure agreement with the uh, with the AFB while the negotiations were going on, but the the the, the, the long-range plan is to is to is to do something big and and grand. And uh, if I sound like I'm being vague, it's because there are a lot of different ideas mm-hmm. um, out there at APH about what we might do, and and no and no final answers. Uh-huh. So anything I would say would be just a bunch of speculation. The the museum had already had a lot of stuff in it. So where where have they put all of the, it must take up a lot of space just to put all this away. Right, so we we um, we've been working on that for about 5 years. Where are we going to we I would, I have already done, Carla, a pretty good job of bringing in lots of new stuff. Oh yes. <laughs> you have. Um, you know? and 
the so piano and all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. needed new storage anyway. So um, <clears throat> the company, um, you know, we're always changing the way we do things. And so uh, a lot of our uh, products in the past have been painted using a silkscreen process. Mm-hmm. And um, over the last few years, we've started moving to a, a way of using these big flatbed uh, printers where you lay your plastic pieces down and then the big, really, a print bar moves back and forth over this table and kind of sprays the ink onto the plastic piece, which is great. It's much more favorable to the environment because silkscreen involved lots of chemicals and inks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so that space became available back in the back of the plant. And so in October, we have had construction companies in here rearranging walls, um, it's really a glorious space. Okay, hang um, on. Let me let me stop you here. Yeah, sure. So when you talk about the silk screening, that was yeah. for what book educational produ- aids, primarily. educational aids. Okay, uh-huh. all right. Yeah. Because let let's explain that to the people who are sure. listening who aren't aware. Um, APH provides um, or sells a lot of just uh, does a huge amount of. A business related to educational products and books right. for blind children, and yeah, so, for, so for that a good example would be like uh, mm-hmm. um, the light box. Okay, okay? Mm-hmm. you have this kit of light box materials that go with it, and mm-hmm. some of them are things like plexiglass triangles and cubes and 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 that sort of thing. But there also are uh, clear pictures that you lay down on the on the light box. Okay, mm-hmm. one of them is a clown. Okay, mm-hmm. well that traditionally was done by making a silkscreen frame and you would lay it down over a piece of plastic and then you would take a squeegee and squeegee ink onto it. And there were two colors on that transparency of the clown, a yellow and a red. Mm-hmm. So you had two different screens, one for the red and one for the yellow, right? Okay. And then after you were done with the screen, then you had to clean it. And that would be done with a, like a lacquer thinner, very toxic, you know, solvent. Oh, yeah. Very dirty, lots of steps, lots of handwork. It made the product, you know, pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so now this new process, the ink process, you know, you don't need the screens and you print directly on there and it's not nearly as toxic and you don't need all the solvents. Really? But that also clears up space. Okay. Um, and so that's where we have installed our new storage space. Um, and it, it, you know, our ceilings back there are 14 feet high and our shelves are 12 foot tall. Um, so oh my goodness! Massive ladder that lets you get up to the height. But what that allows you to do is, and then the shelving is this compact shelving where the shelves move. Um, okay. So when you need to get to a particular shelf, you just open up the aisle that leads into that shelving, and so you can cram a lot more shelves in there. And then we're using the height, so we're really maximizing the space that we have, and that will allow us to have room for to collect on into the 21st century. Oh my goodness! That that is that is amazing to think of. That's almost mind-boggling to think about. Well, when you when you know when you come to a museum, you know you think, oh, there's all this great stuff, and you read the history and and you see the interesting things, and that's great. But you know, a, a museum usually only exhibits a small fraction of what what they actually have. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff we preserve for scholars and researchers. Um, um, and we save things just because it's important that somebody saves them. 
Um, and, and really, over the last 25 years, APH has become the safety deposit box for the blindness field. Yes. And, um, you know, you can't always know what uh, technological product is going to be significant down the road. So we try to save, you know, inventions that succeed and also inventions that fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes we learn more from our failures than our successes. That's very true. And so your 22 pallets of stuff, mm-hmm. do they fill all of these shelves or oh, you'll yeah. have more space? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we will have room in this new in our new storage space for our current collection and the uh, items we get, the, the, the huge collection we got from AFB, mm-hmm. and we will have room for, you know, another generation of collecting down the road, too. Oh, my. that That is amazing. And so then a person who is wanting to do some research on something that you have mm-hmm. comes in, um, will come in, will check with you find out what they want and someone goes and retrieves that's that's how it works right so our reading room is is where it's always been here in the museum Mm -hmm. and we would go to the back with carts we would bring the boxes and materials that they needed to to go through bring it to the reading room they would they would look through it um, and then we would take them you know back Mm -hmm. to storage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course there would continue to be the the exhibits and displays that are That's out right. there just for kind of general browsing. That's right. That is fascinating. I'm sure you're having a wonderful time going through all this stuff. I am. I really am. Yeah. Uh, how how the, long uh, do you the think... The opportunity to be a part of the story is, is just, it's an honor. How long do you think this is going to take just to get all of this stuff unpacked and cataloged and in place? Truthfully, I think it's going to take 10 years. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, because see, you can right now. One of the um, AFB had ju- has just done amazing work with their collection. Mm-hmm. You can go to if you type in Helen Keller Archives on the internet, you're going to get taken to their website, and you can search through all of the Helen Keller materials. Most of it has been scanned and digitized, and is on there in an accessible format. Okay. And so that's for the Helen Keller part of the collection. But also included in this uh, is the AFB archives. You know, AFB is founded in 1923, and it's got its finger in almost every development in blindness in the 20th and early 21st centuries. And all of that stuff has not been um, inventoried or described. And so... uh, that's one there's like 22 boxes full of photographs that no one has ever gone through oh Um, so yeah and uh so we we have a lot of work ahead of us to get to figure out what's in that collection and to kind of organize it in a way so that um, anybody who's doing research on blindness in the 20th century could use those materials i'm assuming that the helen keller material which is already archived and so mm-hmm. on will be the first to get into place that's right yeah and then also helen's you know she, helen's just so her name is so well known mm-hmm. you know people right. are fascinated by her and her story and ann sullivan's story you can never separate the two really mm-hmm. um and uh so uh yeah that would definitely be the first uh temporary exhibit that we will pull together 
Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a working title yet uh, for that exhibit, but um, that's something that's definitely on the books. Mm -hmm. Well, we will certainly look forward to hearing more about this as it progresses. I'm sure that you'll have little parts of this that you will um, kind of be like the carrot, hold out yep. the carrot and, and love, tell us about the good things. <laughs> I would love to do that. Yeah, and that will be so interesting. I, I think this is going to be an amazing project and, um, and more than a project, an amazing way of life for the <laughs> museum. <laughs> My goodness, I can't, I just, it, it's almost overwhelming. It, it sounds so huge. Mm -hmm. But, um, it, you know, when you think of something like this, oh, well, okay, they've, they've, They've gotten the Helen Keller materials. All right, well, it'll probably take about six months for them to get mm -hmm. them into place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then you tell me, oh, this will take 10 years. And I'm going, my goodness. So this this is the kind of thing that's going to just continue and probably for a long time have new things that will just kind of be surfacing for people yes. to see. Yes. It, Mike, if, if somebody is let's say a, a researcher is going on looking at all of these things that are already digitized and mm -hmm. cataloged and they want to see the real thing and it hasn't that particular item is in you know palette number four box 18 or something right. can that be it with, can. It, yes. they can you can get to that you can yeah actually everything's off the pallets and on the shelf now okay yeah that, right. that that took me about three weeks to get oh. that to get to that stage, and uh -huh. um, so now the 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 big job is just getting into every box and getting inventories of what's in every box. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that will be good. I I hope you'll when you find as you come across really great things, and you probably do every single day, but I hope that periodically you'll keep us updated on interesting things that have, you know, that are kind of part of that collection there at, at APH. Things that, I mean, I know we could go and, and, and see it all online, mm -hmm. but it, it would be great to hear about, here is what I've worked with in the last couple of months. Here's what I've I, actually I touched. we could do that. We could do that, yes. Yeah, that, yes. that would be really, really interesting to to be able to to do that okay. and in some cases maybe I don't know if it'd be possible but but it might be good ever so often you know once a year or something or mm -hmm. every you know every few months to may, maybe set up a small a little small um, thing where maybe people could come and maybe you could just bring out a couple of things and let us touch them oh, I'd love it like. I'd love it yeah, I think we could do that. Because, because I think that for a lot of us, some of these things, things that have been um, retrieved, you know, she, that she was given. I mean, a cricket cage. I, I don't know about other people, but I don't know what a cricket cage looks like. Right. You right. know, and right. um, I mean, we'd have to be very, very careful. You probably get people put on white gloves. You know, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But. I think it would be very interesting to be able to touch some of those things and the things that are touchable at this point, because some of them are quite old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you have to be careful that, I mean, I, I, I know that just 
the oil on people's hands, the natural oil can cause problems for mm -hmm. old things. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we have to be very careful about that. But it sure would be interesting to be able to touch some of the items. Um, for example, when the day that we had the um, had the um, the official opening, I guess we would say, of the, or announcement of this project. Yeah, the announcement. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And there were some things that were in cases, um, yeah. and and you had to have them there because you had all these people walking yeah. through. But yeah. it sure would be nice to to actually feel what some of those items were like, you know, that, that, I don't know if we could ever touch like that. Well, one of the amusing things, uh, abs one, absolutely, I think mm -hmm. we can set that up, but mm -hmm. one of the amusing things about, uh, one of the things that's in that case that we set up for the announcement was, mm -hmm. it's the 1955 Academy Award, the Oscar, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the us on that sculpture. For those who have never seen an Oscar or felt an Oscar, it's literally a, a full figure of um, of a man. Okay. Um, kind of stylized, but um, anatomically correct. And the 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 buttocks on that on that uh, uh, they're gold, right? Okay. They're plated in gold, twenty four oh. karat gold, and the buttocks on that statue <laughs> all the gold rubbed off. <laughs> oh no so somebody was touching yes let's just put it that way yes yes <laughs> but i think we could definitely uh we could definitely uh, arrange some kind of a session yeah. like that um carla and I, I i would love to do it i can i'm I, my mind is whirring as you're talking and i'm mm -hmm. i can already think of three or four things that we could probably we could probably rig up so mm -hmm. let's talk about that down the road, okay? That'd be great. Well, okay. Mike, this has been fascinating, and I appreciate you taking the time talking to us today on Soundprints, and I know that we're going to hear more great things coming out about this. And, um, and also, of course, we don't want to lose sight of all the other activities that are going on in the museum, and we'll have another segment coming up soon about activities at the museum in the coming months. Several people have been saying, well, what's going on at the museum? Haven't seen anything lately. And um, we definitely want to, to have a segment about those things, too, so people can get those activities on their calendars and plan to attend. Page 3. This article was posted on Wednesday, March 4, by Jeff Tom, a member of the ACB Board of Directors. He's from California. And is entitled Collins Casey Bill to Reauthorize Older Americans Act Passes Senate. Landmark law supports community-based and nutrition services for older Americans and their caregivers and is critical to improving the lives of seniors. Washington, D.C. The U.S. Senate unanimously passed the Supporting Older Americans Act, the bipartisan legislation authored by U.S. Senators Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, and Bob Casey, Democrat of Pennsylvania, the chairman and ranking member of the Aging Committee, would reauthorize and strengthen the Older Americans Act, OAA, the nation's preeminent law focused on the well-being of seniors. The bill has now been sent to the House for its consideration before heading to the President's desk to be signed into law. 
Since 1965, the OAA has supported and improved the lives of seniors, particularly those who are low-income, through programs that promote nutrition, such as Meals on Wheels, improve transportation options, support caregivers, offer employment and community service opportunities, and prevent abuse and neglect. This critical law was last reauthorized in 2016. Quote, For more than half a century, the Older Americans Act has served as a lifeline for millions of seniors by enriching their lives and improving their overall health, said Senator Collins. This bipartisan legislation will help ensure that the OAA continues to match the goals we set to permit seniors to age with dignity, respect, and community. As chairman of the Senate Aging Committee, it is one of my highest priorities to get this bill across the finish line to strengthen the OAA's programs while providing more flexibility for states to meet local needs. I am pleased that the Senate unanimously passed our legislation, and I urge the House to approve it swiftly so that it can be enacted into law. End of quote. Another quote. The Older Americans Act serves more than 10 million Americans each year, including 400,000 people throughout Pennsylvania. It represents our commitment to the generations who made us who we are today and lifts up the seniors who need our help the most. I'm pleased that this bill has broad bipartisan support in the Senate and look forward to getting this bill signed into law, said Senator Casey. End of quote. Another quote. This legislation will direct resources to support grandparents and older relative caregivers, as well as multi-generational engagement, and will ensure that our area agencies on aging are prepared to meet seniors where they are, in their homes and communities. On behalf of the Leadership Council on Aging Organizations, LCAO, we appreciate the bipartisan and bicameral proposal to reauthorize the Older Americans Act, OAA, said Deborah Whitman, chair of LCAO, the Coalition of National Nonprofit Organizations Working on Behalf of America's Older Adults. We enthusiastically endorse the Supporting Older Americans Act of 2020, H.R. 4334 and look forward to its passage to support our growing aging population and help assure their healthy longevity. End of quote. Another quote. The Supporting Older Americans Act builds on OAA's powerful legacy of providing our loved ones with the support they need to live independently and with dignity as they age, said Megan O'Reilly, Vice President of AARP Government Affairs, Federal Health and Family. Over the years, OAA has helped so many older Americans across the nation stay in their communities among friends, neighbors, and family through caregiver support, home-delivered meals, and transportation. AARP commends the Special Committee on Aging Chair Susan Collins and Ranking Member Bob Casey for their leadership in ushering the bipartisan reauthorization of this legislation across the finish line in the Senate. Quote, N4A is thrilled that the Senate has passed the Supporting Older Americans Act of 2020, said N4A CEO Sandy Markwood. This bill is the result of months of negotiation among Senate and House leadership, as well as aging policy advocates and N4A members here in Washington and around the country. 
For more than 50 years, the Older Americans Act has funded services that support older adults and enhance their ability to continue living in the community. These programs reduce the likelihood that older adults will experience hunger, malnutrition, social isolation, and elder abuse. The Older Americans Act also supports the continued ability of older adults and their caregivers to access services that provide transportation, caregiver supports, meals, in-home services, and so many more programs that are essential to community living. End of quote. Reauthorization of the Older Americans Act is a great victory for the Aging Services Network and those we serve, said Diane Walsh, MSW, Executive Director of the Eastern Area Agency on Aging in Maine. There are many important provisions in the bill, not the least of which is the focus on research to study the negative consequences of social isolation and loneliness which impact so many rural older adults. We look to the future with a renewed focus to integrate innovative strategies that will advance our mission to support communities and those who are the most vulnerable. Administered by the Administration for Community Living, ACL, the OAA authorizes an array of services through a network of 56 state units on aging and more than 600 area agencies on aging, AAAs, serving older Americans throughout the nation. In the last year alone, OAA programs served more than 700,000 caregivers and provided seniors across the country with 358 million meals. In addition to supporting seniors, OAA programs are cost-effective. The average cost of serving one senior Meals on Wheels for the entire year is $2,828. Compared to an average of $2,424, it costs to stay for only one day in the hospital and the approximately $2,530 it costs to stay just 10 days in a semi-private room in a nursing home. By providing seniors with a hot meal, the Older Americans Act improves nutrition and keeps seniors out of the hospital, allowing them to age in their homes and communities. In fact, every $1 invested into the Older Americans Act generates $3 to help seniors stay at home and out of the hospital through low-cost community-based services. Specifically, the bipartisan bill would reauthorize the Older Americans Act for five years with funding levels that better meet the growing needs, including a 7% increase in the initial year and 6% increase annually for the remainder of the authorization. Extend the Raise Family Caregivers Act for one additional year. Extend the Grandparents Raising Grandchildren Council for one year. Improve the availability of transportation resources to seniors. Enhance flexibility for states to better address the needs of grandparents raising grandchildren. Ensure that those living with younger onset Alzheimer's disease are included in the key OAA services. Increase the focus on addressing detrimental impacts of social isolation. Advance support for age-friendly communities. Improve elder abuse prevention activities through increased outreach and education activities. Increase transparency of home modification opportunities for eligible older adults. Upgrade data collection methods to understand unmet need in nutrition programs. Promote multi-generational programming. 
bolster innovation in the OAA through thoughtful evaluation of demonstrations and existing programs. In May, Senators Collins and Casey held an aging committee hearing to highlight the importance of reauthorizing the OAA. In December, Senator Collins spoke on the Senate floor in support of the OAA's passage. This reauthorization is supported by more than 128 organizations, including the Leadership Council on Aging Organizations, AARP, the National Area Agencies on Aging, N4A, Advancing States, the National Association of Nutrition and Aging Services Programs, NANASP, National Alliance for Caregiving, Meals on Wheels America, the Jewish Federations of North America, National Council on Aging, NCOA, and the Alzheimer's Association. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. Remember that there are additional meetings and committee activities announced on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. On March 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a roundabout from 3.30 to 9.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5. Group Discussion, the topic is Natural Disasters I Have Experienced, from 5 to 6. Dinner, 6 to 7, $6 per person. And Bunko, Yahtzee, Cards, and Other Games, from 7 to 9.30. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On March 8, KCB Next Generation will hold a chapter meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. This meeting is for members 40 years old and under. March 9, ACB Next Generation, Nationwide Conference Call, 8.30 p.m. by phone. ACB members and individuals under the age of 40 are invited to join this call. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On March 10, SAVVY, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, will hold a workshop. From 10 until noon Central Time at Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. They will prepare soup and sandwiches and demonstrate accessibility of the Instant Pot and other kitchen devices. For information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On March 10, following the Savvy Workshop, will be the Savvy Monthly Meeting from noon to 2 p.m. Central Time. Join them for a light lunch, soup and sandwich, and an opportunity to share ideas and information. Also at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church on Sherm Road in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On March 11, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold a monthly meeting by phone at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155-619. On March 12, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its March membership meeting from noon to 2 p.m. in Lexington. They'll share information about the 2020 Vision Campaign, the Silver Initiative, the Wood Turning Project, and more. We're encouraging members to invite potential members and to be sure you've renewed your 2020 BCB membership. It's in the BCB Community Room at 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1220 in Lexington. For more information and to RSVP, call 859-259-1834. On March 12, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting. From 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., this is an in-person meeting at the United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On March 13, there will be a Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout. There will be education and technology from 3.30 to 5.30, dinner 5.30 to 6.30, $6 per person, and then we'll be attending the APH Reader's Theater from 7 until 8.30. The activity is at United Crescent Hill Ministries, but plan to make your return ride from the American Printing House for the Blind. If you are attending the play with GLCB, please make your reservation with us instead of calling the Printing House. If you do not wish to attend the play, you may still come to Roundabout, and make your return ride around 9 p.m. from United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On March 14, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a board meeting at 11 a.m. by phone 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 15 is an ACB Families Conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country in our business meeting and planning for the activities at the ACB Convention. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On March 16 will be a BCB Assistive Technology Seminar from 1 to 2 p.m. at their office in Lexington. The program, You Had the Intro, now join us for Narrator Part 1. BCB Community Room, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information and to sign up. March 16 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board Meeting. 8 p.m. by phone. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. March 18, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Conference Call Meeting. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. A speaker or topic will be announced for this call. Telephone 669-900-6833, access 3572-595-193. March 20, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout 
Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5, Discussion Time 5 to 6, Dinner 6 to 7, and Bingo, $2 per person from 7 until 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. March 22 is the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 23 is Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana Membership Meeting. It's at 7 p.m. by conference call. Dial 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On March 25, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a lunch and learn from noon until 2 p.m. Austin Robinson presents Edge Music Therapy. Learn about the benefits of music therapy, Austin's practice of music therapy, and a demonstration of his music art. At the BCB Community Room in Lexington, call 859-259-1834 to sign up. March 26, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group Meeting, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. March 27 is Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout, Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5, Tip Sheet, 5 to 5.30, Page Turners, 5.30 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, games, trivia, and other activities from 7 until 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. March 28 is a savvy bowling outing from noon to 2 p.m. Central Time at the Bowlodrome at 600 East 14th Street in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-686-8689 by noon on March 27. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the cost will be divided equally among the participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, snacks, etc. March 28 is the ACB Next Generation Saturday Night Live Hangout at 8 p.m. by conference call. Dial 669-900-6833. Here are a few highlights from the April calendar. April 3 will be the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Quarterly Meeting at United Crescent Hill Ministries. More details coming soon. April 5 is the ACB Families Peer Support Call, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 712-432-3900. The code is 796096. The speaker for this meeting will be Matthew Schifrin, who is the blind student who has developed the Braille and audio instructions for various Lego sets. April 18 is a savvy bowling outing from noon to 2 p.m. Central Time at the Bolodrome in Owensboro. There will be no GLCB roundabout on April 24. On April 25, KCB will hold a crossroads conference beginning at 10 a.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. More details coming soon. 
On May 2, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its annual derby party beginning at 10 a.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. July 3 to July 10 will be the 59th annual ACB Conference and Convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. And July 24 and 25 will be the 75th annual reunion of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association. It will be held at the Ramada Inn in Louisville. More details on all of these activities will be coming soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody. Outstanding. Let's do it. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.